Good Monday morning. We're all back at work. Yes, today is Monday. If you didn't go to church yesterday, you can watch it today. <laughs> if you got your days confused, I'm trying to keep them straight. Yeah, there really is just no no end to the routine. And now, because uh, my wife and kids can't go to the store, so my weekends are spent shopping and cooking. And I mean, I, I just I, I'm I'm ready for a vacation. I'm ready for a vacation from sheltering in place. Now, we have much to discuss today, and much of it is good news. The governor of the state of Georgia has a plan to reopen the state of Georgia, and that is a good thing. Uh, I, I want to get into the plan. I have some insider information about the plan. I want to talk to you about that, but we need to set the stage to begin with first. Uh, and it, it, there are a couple of things. Let me let me do a slow build, if you will allow, because I can see the the information circulating as it is on social media and in my inbox of people with questions, questions about all sorts of things. And I want to be able to relay to you the information that I know and get you the information that I have to be able to paint for you a full picture of what is going on out there. To begin with, let's start with this California study everybody is buzzing about. Uh, This is an interesting study out of California. Uh, It's out of Silicon Valley, and it shows that people are uh, overwhelmingly uh, more likely to have had COVID-19 than we originally thought. A number of people in Silicon Valley had it. Uh, There are some flaws with the study, though. There are a lot of people on the right who are championing this, and, and anecdotally, it's good news. And let's be clear here that there is good news. We should highlight the good news on this. But let's also understand what we're dealing with. We're we're dealing with a small pool of people who went for a COVID-19 test. Uh, There was an advertisement. Let me explain to you how it worked, and then you can understand why some people are, uh, why a lot of people actually, most scientists are treating this skeptically. There was a test in Northern California in the Silicon Valley area. Uh, They advertised on Facebook for people saying you could come get your, um, you could come get a COVID-19 test. It occurred at a time where there were not a lot of COVID-19 tests happening. They only advertised on Facebook. It was overwhelmingly women who showed up, uh, and that suggests there were a lot of people who were nervous they had the virus. They couldn't get a test otherwise, and so they went. And so there was a large sampling of people who had the virus. Uh, Now, here's the other thing you need to know. It has come out over the weekend that the antibody test that was used uh, statistically uh, had all sorts of problems with it. It was a test where there is some indication it could have been triggered positive falsely, uh, generating lots of false positives outside of a a statistical aberration, uh, but also that it could be triggered by the common cold and other things. Now, uh, they're still sorting through that information, but it does look like this test could have triggered a lot of false positives, uh, rendering the test meaningless. That being said, if it was accurate, and while there are questions of accuracy, it does mean that the virus has spread um, more than what we originally thought. And that's actually good news because it brings the mortality and the hospitalization rate down. We are seeing it when you add that there's also a study outside of Boston in one of the hardest hit areas of Massachusetts. They found something similar that the virus had spread through that community more than people had thought it had. Uh, And that actually is good news because, again, it brings down mortality. It brings down hospitalization. Still a bad virus and still a lot of people dead, but not as much as as otherwise. And I've got some data on that. 
there's also a test at a homeless shelter in Boston where they gave people antibody tests. And many more people, one in four, I think it was, uh, homeless people in this homeless shelter had it. Uh, they had not been hospitalized. That is also good. So anecdotally, there continues to be data coming out that the virus is more widespread and less fatal than originally believed. But we do need to put this in perspective. Uh, and I, I'm, it was helpfully pointed in this direction by an epidemiologist to explain why everyone's concerned. Because, you know, on the right now, uh, whether you, whether it's Clay Travis or, or a number of people out there who are not epidemiologists, they're, they're pointing to these studies saying, see, see, I told you so, I told you so. Uh, where every they ignore the data that suggests it's bad. And they only look at the data that suggests they're right. And, and I don't think we should be in that situation. I, th- I think I, we got to look at all the data. And there's a lot of data out there that suggests that the skeptics are, are more right than a lot of the, the pessimists have thought, that the virus isn't nearly as bad as it was. But we also need to keep it in perspective with the data from epidemiologists that shows how bad the virus is in and of itself. Let me give you this data. We are now over 40,000 COVID-19 deaths in eight weeks. 40,000 deaths in eight weeks. Now, I'm going with the low number because if you look at some of the charts, it's about 45 to 47,000 deaths today. The reason I'm staying on the low side of 40,000 is because the CDC only counts people who had a confirmed test for COVID-19 before dying. And some of the higher numbers are including presumed deaths. Now, there's no conspiracy there. Let's be clear here. There's no conspiracy there. We do this with the flu. When I tell you that 40,000 people died of the flu, that includes people who tested positive for the flu and people who were coded by hospitals as presumed to have the flu. There's not a mass conspiracy. Likewise, when I tell you that 40,000 people died of COVID-19, there's a conspiracy theory running among some on the right that Dr. Burke said anyone who dies who had COVID-19 is being attributed as having uh, COVID-19. What they're leaving out is that she clarified her answer when someone asked her about that later, that no, if you, if you, have, if you test positive COVID-19 and someone shoots you, you're going to die of the gunshot wound and you're going to be coded as dying of the gunshot wound, not the virus. Uh, they do do this and they have done this for a while. Uh, and, and you need to understand there are a lot of people, particularly on the right, because they understand intuitively the president probably needs a good economy to get reelected. So we need everybody to get back to work there. A lot of people are twisting a lot of the facts and data out there to boost the case to get out. And, and that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But we need to we need to ground this in reality so we don't paint a false picture on either side. We, we don't want the, the completely disastrous picture that some people are going to paint. And we'll get into that. We don't want the, the overly optimistic, hey, this is all for nothing. Uh, this was a big nothing burger thing. The reality is that when you actually count the people who died of COVID-19, they, they had the um, – the the what uh, cytosystine plasma uh, response or whatever you call it they they had the heart problems all the other problems related to how one dies of COVID nineteen the number one way someone dies of COVID nineteen is they actually have a heart attack why because their oxygen their blood oxygen is deprived and their heart has a heart attack so when you look at the people who actually confirmed died of COVID nineteen forty thousand. When you look at the flu, and, and I tell you 40,221 people, forty actually 43,221 people died last year of the flu. That includes confirmed flu deaths and presumed flu deaths. Now, let's paint an apples to apples comparison. If we know that COVID-19 killed 40,000 people based on a confirmed test of COVID-19, how many people died 
with just a confirmed test of the flu. Let's pull out the presumed and look apples to apples. Confirmed test COVID-19, confirmed test for flu, 7,000. So 40,000 in eight weeks from COVID-19, 7,000 for a year for the flu. Let me say that again. Let's just take the actual confirmed tests for flu and COVID-19. 40,000 people died of COVID-19 based on a confirmed positive test. 7,000 died of the flu. The COVID-19 deaths were in eight weeks. The flu deaths were in a year. Actually, if I'm fair about it, six-month flu season. That gives you the picture of what you're dealing with. So please understand, for those of you who think this is all overblown, that's why the world governments, and I say the world governments because every government on the planet has, has done this, that's why it was done that way. That's why everyone was asked to shelter in place. Now, the good news that gets us to the good news, it worked. It worked. I want to focus on Georgia here because I'm in Georgia. Most of you listening are in Georgia. Let's talk about what Brian Kemp did. Brian Kemp is still being attacked by some that he didn't do enough. And he's being attacked by Republicans that he did too much. I live in Bibb County, right north of me. I mean, 100 feet from me. Man, if they would move the line, I would save money on taxes. About 100 feet from me is Monroe County. And the county commission there wants it to be opened up. The local uh, newspaper uh, publisher there is is calling on Kemp to open things up. Uh, There's an editorial from the newspaper wanting things opened up, suggesting we should have never closed down in the first place. A lot of, lot of Republican county commissioners want everything opened up. Uh, Kemp is in a very no-win situation. No one wants to give him credit on the left because he's a Republican. Uh, no one on the right is happy with him because they think he wrecked the economy for no big deal. Nobody actually wants to pay attention to the fact that he listened to the experts and he did what the experts advised him, uh, which was to not close the state until the modeling suggested. And remember, the models look out a couple of weeks that until the modeling suggested Georgia would max out and exceed hospital bed space, Kemp did not act. The moment the modeling showed that Georgia would exceed hospital bed capacity, Kemp shut the state down. Democrats argued in March that if Brian Kemp would go ahead and shut down the state, we could get the peak over with at the beginning of April and we could move on with our lives. That's important because remember, there were Democrats in the state of Georgia who were saying at the middle to end of March, if Brian Kemp would shelter in place then, ASAP, we would be able to hit the peak at the beginning of April and move on with our lives. That's what the Democrats said. Brian Kemp waited until April 2nd to enter an order to shut down the state on April 3rd. He then extended it to May 1st. Well, the revised IHME modeling on which everyone is relying shows Georgia hit its peak on April 7th. Yeah, my silence is intentional. Brian Kemp did not do what the Democrats wanted. And he did not do what the Republicans wanted. He did what the experts advised him to do. The Democrats said if he acted sooner, we'd have hit the peak on April, the 1st of April. Uh, the, the beginning of April, not not specifically April 1st, but the beginning of April. The modeling showed we would not hit the peak until April 24th. And then what happened? The modeling moved to April 20th and everyone was encouraged. And then there was a big spike in deaths. And that spike in deaths, that one day spike in deaths around April 14th, 
threw all the modeling off. And as a result, the modeling shifted to May 1st. Keep in mind, the modeling is responsive to the data. As the daily totals of, of infections come in and the daily deaths come in, the model shifts. And there was a big spike in deaths on April 14th. 100 people died that day in Georgia from the virus. That's the highest, though. The model presumed that it would go up, and it didn't. It went down. As a result, the model adjusted. And so Georgia passed its peak on April 7th. Uh, and that, my friends, should be a good thing. Um, and we should be applauding Governor Kemp. Let me, I'm, I'm pulling up the data right now. Again, if you text data to 33777, you can follow through links and, and, and get stuff on my Substack page. But um, right now, yes, there was a big spike on it. It was a, actually April 7th. I'm sorry, I said April 14th. April 7th, there was a big spike of 100 deaths. And the presumption for the modeling is that it would surge after that, but instead it hasn't. It's gone down. Uh, and the result of it is that we passed our peak on April 7th, the deaths per day. Now, on hospital resource usage, it was April 15th. We will no longer max out hospital beds. We will no longer max out ICU beds. And there may still be a need of 287 ventilators, but the state can match that need. So in Georgia, the governor listened to the experts. He didn't listen to the Democrats who said we should have done it in March. He didn't listen to the Republicans who said we shouldn't shut things down at all. He put smart people around him who know the situation, who are actual epidemiologists, who are actual uh, resource uh, supply chain experts. He listened to them. He listened to them, and when uh, he was told that Georgia would exceed hospital rates if he didn't act responsibly, he acted responsibly and responsively. And what is the result? The result is that uh, we passed the peak. The, the peak resources were April 15th. The peak deaths were April 7th. Uh, Georgia's on a downward trajectory. And because the daily rate is declining in new cases, though still high, let me give you the numbers real quick. There are, in the state of Georgia, 18,489 total cases, 3,489 hospitalizations, 689 deaths. The hospitalization rate is now 18.8%. That is three percentage points lower now than the national average, which is now at 21%. And uh, 3.73% in deaths, that is only about two-tenths of a point less than the national uh, percentage for deaths. Georgia, it turns out, is doing pretty good, despite all the hysteria. By the way, it turns out that our mayor is far more competent than the mayor of New York City. Uh, we do need to focus on Keisha Lance Bottoms versus uh, Bill de Blasio as well. But it's worth pointing out here that the governor did listen. All the governors have listened to experts in all the states. And they have had to weed out the cries of supporters telling them to do X, Y, and Z and uh, weed out the, the cries of, of reporters telling them to do otherwise. And now they're having to weed out the cries of people saying, if you reopen the country, you're gonna, everyone's going to die again. They heard that to begin with. Friends, there's good news on the horizon. The state is going to reopen. Florida is starting to reopen. Southern states are coming together in a compact on how to reopen. I've got some details on this we'll get into when we come back.
Well, we crossed the Rubicon of sorts this morning. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say it that way, but uh, by the way, I, I had to kill the live stream. Man, a lot of people on the internet today slowing everything down. I, I went to Publix this morning. My wife needed uh, something for, for recipe. So I went over there this morning, and this is the first time I have been in Publix, and I was there were two of us shopping who did not have masks on. Every single other person in the grocery store did. Uh, everybody did. All the workers did and all the people shopping did. I, I did not. Uh, now, my wife made me a mask. And if I go to Fresh Market, you're required to wear a mask inside now. And I do. But otherwise, I, I'm thinking, you know, everybody else is wearing a mask. Why do I need to wear a mask? All the people who are sick are wearing a mask. Why do I need to wear a mask? Three weeks ago, the CDC said I didn't need to wear a mask. And now suddenly, oh, yeah, everybody should wear a mask. I, I'm, I'm, I didn't wear a mask. And it was just interesting. I thought that everybody else was wearing a mask for the first time that's happened for the first time. Nonetheless, I, I, I and I mentioned Publix because I want to give them a, a shout out here. I got a, a, an email from somebody saying I should give them some credit. And it is worth noting, uh, Publix has given a lot of money to local food banks around the state. The America's Second Harvest of Coastal Georgia Savannah got 15000 The Atlanta Community Food Bank got 100000 uh, feeding the Valley, uh, which is outside of Columbus in Midland, Georgia, got, I had to look that one up, uh, $7,500. The Food Bank of Northeast Georgia in Athens got $7,500. The Golden Harvest Food Bank in Augusta got $15,000. The Middle Georgia Community Food Bank in Macon got $7,500. And the Second Harvest of South Georgia in Valdosta got $7,500. By the way, speaking of Middle Georgia, I read that uh, in, in Macon, the, the Bibb County, has stepped up and they, they've started a fund to give short-term loans to businesses in the area uh, to keep businesses afloat. Uh, they're giving grants and loans, it appears, which is a fantastic, fantastic thing to do. Uh, good on them to do it. Uh, also, Shake Shack, I don't know if you heard, Shake Shack got $10 million in the payroll protection program. And Shake Shack is giving all the money back, saying uh, they decided they would go out and ask investors for money instead so that smaller businesses would be able to get the money. So they've given all that money back to the federal government, unlike Ruth Chris's, Ruth's Chris and several of the others. Uh, I, I should also note, I hope that you guys weathered the storms okay. Man, they were something else. Uh, it looks like mostly the state of Georgia is okay right now. Yeah, radar is clear now, uh, stuff moving out of the area, but... Gracious, uh, it, it was a it was a it was a bad 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 uh, morning yesterday here in Middle Georgia and across the state. Lots of damage, particularly in South Georgia, hard hit. Now, we got other stuff. The government has a plan. The governor of Georgia has a plan. Reopening is coming, and there's some good news in medicine. You know, it turns out after all the back and forth on hydroxychloroquine. Doctors are saying that uh, it is a it, it they cannot say that hydroxychloroquine is actually effective uh, that it is within the the realm of a statistical uh, anomaly that it works. Now what do they mean by that? That essentially uh, you give people a placebo and hydroxychloroquine and they are recovering at the same, which suggests that the people who are getting the hydroxychloroquine, are actually the people who may rebound anyway from the virus. Uh, but there is a drug that is showing remarkable progress when it comes to uh, fighting COVID-19. The plans for Georgia and that drug 
when we come back. There's, oh, oh, we also need to get into the attack on homeschooling at a time that all parents are homeschooling. Harvard thinks you should not be homeschooling your children right now. Just absurd stuff. All right. Now, listen, I, 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 full disclosure here, because I'm going to do some duplication, uh, I'm going to spend time every hour today on the governor's plan to reopen uh, because I, I want to make sure that we, we cover it exhaustively to the point you're bored with it. Why? Because it's good news and uh, we should be celebrating here, but also to expect that we're going to see major media light up the governor and the governors of the other state. I mean, look at what they're doing with, with Florida. R- Ron DeSantis allowed beaches in the Jacksonville area to be re- reopened and people showed up to go to the beach. Actually, on CNN, I, I, a buddy of mine flagged this for me uh, who lives in Jacksonville. CNN was actually showing uh, images from California on a beach there. Here's what you need to know about the beaches in Jacksonville that reopened. Uh, crowds were minimal. Families were together. And people kept their distance from one another. I've been to the grocery store where people weren't keeping their distance from each other in the grocery aisles. People were more spread out on the beach than they are in the, in, in the aisles at the local Kroger. But the media's having a meltdown over it. Yeah, I've, I've got so much here. So I, I, I got it just, just out of the gate. I, I do an outline of the show, and I'm, I'm doing my best, but there's so much to say, and it's all kind of mumble-jumble just to try to blah, 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 rush it all out of my mouth. But, but... I want to begin with the vice president of the United States. When the president outlined his guidelines for opening up America, uh, Mm -hmm. we laid out a plan for both uh, for when and how uh, we thought it was best, according to our our best scientists and advisors, for states to be able to responsibly and safely reopen. And we believe today, as Dr. Birx has said, as Dr. Fauci and others have said, is that there is a sufficient capacity of testing across the country today for any state in America to go to a phase one level which contemplates testing people that have symptoms of the coronavirus and also doing the kind of monitoring of vulnerable populations in our cities, in our nursing homes, that we ought to be watching very carefully for outbreaks of the coronavirus. But we believe if working with the governors, as we'll continue to partner with them, that we can activate labs around the country and that states today, if the governor so chooses, have sufficient testing to be able to move into the testing context. in phase one i i I love the you could tell that i I forget who who was this now i gotta find out because because there are one of two people i know who would do that (laughs) let me pull up the clip just because i'm yep 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 i thought i thought it was chuck Okay, so in, inside story here, uh, and by the way, I, I realize that, that this is, I'm committing conservative radio heresy by daring to say I, I like Chuck, but I do. Uh, and Chuck does not like to interrupt uh, the president and vice president. He just doesn't. Uh, it doesn't matter whether the Republican or Democrat, Chuck Todd does not like to interrupt. Uh, it's the freaking president of the United States. You don't want to interrupt him. But this president, of course, likes to, to, to just talk. And the vice president to a degree does. So you hear, yeah, but, but, yeah, 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 but, but, but. And <laughs> you can 
here. The vice president picks up his cadence to keep talking. Uh-oh, Chuck's getting ready to interrupt me. Let me get it all out. <laughs> okay. Hey, inside, inside remarks. The things that you discuss at the roundtable on MSNBC stay there, but uh, that 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 is something I've noticed. Um, so the vice, so the vice president said, "We're we're we're ramping up testing. We're working with the governors. The governor of Georgia wants to reopen. As Western state governors are kind of coming up with a collaborative approach together to reopen those states, and Brian Kemp is now working with Southern governors to do the same thing." Uh, Florida, they've left out, uh, the, the governor of North Carolina is not interested in working with these Republicans. They don't want to work with the Louisiana governor because Louisiana is actually pretty bad off right now. Louisiana is still in crisis. They should have never had Mardi Gras, but you've got Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, and Tennessee. The South will rise again. Um, and, and they want to reopen. But they can't reopen immediately. They can't flip the switch. And there are a number of reasons why. And before I go into into serious depth on what I've been told about the plan, by the way, uh, Governor Kemp is going to have a press conference at 4 p.m. today. I believe you you may hear it on the station. Um, Governor Kemp is he wants to talk about how he wants to reopen. Jeff Duncan and David Ralston will be with him to show a, a support that's key because remember, Ralston was one of the people who was urging the governor to shut it all down way before the governor did. Ralston was becoming increasingly passive aggressive with the governor, which is somewhat ironic because Ralston was the one who wanted to haul the legislature back uh, to, to extend the governor's emergency um, shelter in place orders. Nonetheless, there are a couple of things that have to happen. Um, there is still a concern and is a legitimate concern based on what happened in Singapore. In Singapore, they shut the place down. And then afterwards, after it was all reopened, they started having the spread again. And in having the spread again, they had to shut it all back down. And Singapore is, is a authoritarian state. It's a wonderful place, but it's very authoritarian. And the reality is that they could shut it all back down again because they're authoritarian in a way that I don't think you're going to get anybody here to, to do. I think once we open up the state of Georgia, once we open up the nation, there's going to be no shutting it back down. That's a concern of public officials who kind of understand this. Once you open, people aren't going to close it back down because there will be a lot of people who say, you know what? This is ridiculous. These people clearly don't know what they're doing. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Now, concurrently, there are a lot of people out there and, and a lot of you listening right now. I've heard from, you know, it, what's so interesting here? is I get a lot of angry people who email. And, and you know, I, I have, to a degree, I've allowed people to call in. You know, you can call in. I've been bad about giving out the number, but you can call in. We're actually here. We're live. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. There are a lot of people that I hear from who are really, really angry that he never, Kip should have never shut down the government. This is all overstated. Uh, that They heard Rush say something or other. And and that that's all well and good. But I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to the, the Republican politicians who listened to the experts and did what every other country on planet Earth did because maybe they know more than me. Maybe they don't. 
But they got access to more information than me, and they all acted the same way. Something must have spooked them. I'm going to show them some grace. But what is really notable in all of this and doesn't get a lot of attention is that the overwhelming majority of people, including the overwhelming majority of you, sheltered in place without the government telling you to. The overwhelming majority of you started altering your lifestyle habits before Brian Kemp told you to do it. The overwhelming majority of you started limiting your restaurant visits, started buying um, sanitizer and disinfectant wipes, started altering your shopping patterns, started restricting people in your home, started doing all of that before the government ever told you to. Now, that's just, that that's a fact. In fact, there's a lot of outside uh, data. Uh, Open Table, for example, shows that most people, there was a 75% decline in restaurants and restaurant visits and restaurant reservations before shelter-in-place went into effect. I mean, I remember flying back. So I, I went and gave a speech in Colorado. This is the last trip I took. I miss Delta. I, I gave a speech in Colorado in February. And it was right as, as people were starting to recognize the virus was serious. Well before New York decided to take any action, mind you. But I was on the plane. Y'all remember this flight. I told y'all about this flight. I was on that plane. I sat in first class next to a woman and she threw up the whole way to Atlanta. The entire way she threw up. She had altitude sickness and she was wearing a mask. Or no, no, no. She wasn't wearing a mask. She wasn't wearing a mask. And there were people around us who were wearing masks already. And I got on the plane and looked at her and I, and I had that look on my face and she looked at me. She said, don't worry. I don't have the virus. <laughs> I felt so bad for the woman. I mean, she puked the entire way to Atlanta. And all I could think is, I really need this radio show to take off so I can get net jets and fly private. <laughs> and seriously, that's what I wanted to do. I just, I, I want access to a private jet. So I never, as much as I love Delta, I never want to have to sit next to anyone on a plane again. On the way out there, I had to take pictures with people. And on the way back, she puked next to me the whole time. And the flight, it was about an extra hour and a half flight. Plus, we sat on the ground. It was it was awful. I was handing the woman extra puke bags just in case. Nonetheless, but people were starting to pay attention to the virus. People were already wearing masks. People were already changing their behavior. And this was still weeks before shelter in place anywhere. People were already doing this. So it really doesn't matter what Brian Kemp says this afternoon at 4 o'clock. People are going to want to feel safe before they get out of their houses. People already changed their behavior. And they're not going to change their behavior back unless they feel safe. But there are signs that people are starting to feel better. Let me give you one anecdote. And again, this is anecdote. It's not data. This is me. There is a Mexican restaurant across the street from my neighborhood called Margaritas. They are wonderful people and it is wonderful food and do not call here to tell me that, that El Sombrero or some other Mexican restaurant in middle Georgia is your favorite. I don't care. Margaritas is my favorite. I like the bartender. He's a nice guy. I'll go over. I'll sit there. I'll have a beer. I'll visit with the bartender in the afternoon 
after CrossFit. <laughs> I just, it, it's, it's, it's a nice place. The people are wonderful. The service is great. The food is fantastic. And they closed. And there was a rumor they were going out of business. They were going to shut the whole thing down. And I was very upset by the fact, because there's another restaurant near us, Mexican restaurant. It's just not as good. And it's a chain up in Atlanta. And it's just, it's not as good. Well, they reopened. They, they renovated. They cleaned up. Uh, they, they set themselves up for to-go orders and drive up. You can drive up. You can place your order. You can sit there. They're always fast. They're good people. Now, yeah, by the way, uh, boo to Bibb County. You know, in Atlanta, you can order a margarita to go, but in Macon, you can't. And that's just ridiculous. That nanny state is Atlanta waived the uh, mixed drink rule. And in Macon, they did not. And and that has had a real impact on local businesses, on local restaurants, and shame on them for not waiving the law. But nonetheless, I digress. Uh, this Mexican restaurant had opened. And there is a steady stream of people, but not just them. Uh, I, I drove around this weekend, and I noticed that restaurants are packed full of people. Now, a lot of it is people are tired of being in their house. Then they're ready to get out, and the weather was beautiful, and they knew the rain was coming on Saturday, Sunday morning. And I get that. But there's increasing every day I go out and there's more traffic on the road. And that suggests to me, and I realize anecdote is not data, but there actually are enough anecdotes to start building data around the state that traffic is increasing. To-go orders at restaurants are going back up and people are starting to get out of their house. People believe the worst is over. People believe we turned the corner. And by the way, all of the data shows we have turned the corner. So now Governor Kemp and the governors of South Carolina, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Mississippi are coming together on a plan to reopen their states, to collaborate on reopening their states. South Carolina intends to reopen beaches. Florida has reopened beaches. South Carolina intends to begin opening restaurants again. And Georgia appears that it's set to do so as well. They're, you're going to have to do things differently, though. For a while, you will probably have to wear masks in public. I don't like to, but I guess I'll have to. I mean, my thinking has been, if everyone else does it, why do I need to? But they may make me. If I go to a fresh market, local grocery store, you got to wear one. So you may have to wear masks. They will initially, much as the White House has encouraged people to do, they will initially limit the number of people at a restaurant. So maybe every other table is blocked off. You can do to-go orders and every other table is blocked off. So, so you can't crowd in the restaurant. And that's fine. And they'll require people to wipe things down. And maybe that's a routine we need to keep up. You know, at, at, at Publix now and, and at Kroger and, and even at Walmart now, they, they've got people who are assigned who do nothing but wipe down the shopping carts after every use. They bring them back inside and one after the other, they wipe the carts and then push them forwards for, for people to get them. And they should have been doing that the whole time. But now they are. But there's a plan now they're coming up with to get us out of our houses. And that's good. And we should be encouraged by it. But there, there, there is an angle here we need to we need to discuss when we come back, and that is: is the media going to give fair credit on this? Because so much of the media is in New York City, where it really is devastated. Are they going to cover accurately other states, or is what's happened in New York City going to shape their coverage? And if it does, it's probably going to be from the standpoint of jealousy. Oh, I'm going to get back to sending recipes. I promise. Nonetheless. So, and again, uh, I, I just, I, I want a, a cautionary note here. I do want to walk through the plan in some depth. Uh, 
Uh, and but I'm I'm trying to set the stage for everybody because I I want to be able to cover it because it's going to be big news and I want you to be as informed as possible going forward on on everything. But one of the ins and outs on this is, is the situation in New York City is objectively bad. It's just bad. Most of the deaths in this country have come from New York City. The hospitals are overwhelmed. You know, I, I've mentioned this before. I've got a friend of mine who's a doctor in New York City who was one of the people who was essentially heckling me in February. He's a friend of mine. And he was so upset that I was scaring people and it was overblown and blah, blah, blah. And and it was no big deal. And th- they could manage. And he's completely overwhelmed. Says he's never seen anything like it. Their hospitals are maxed out. I, I've actually got a, a nurse in Atlanta who is a friend of mine who hated my guts in 2016 because she didn't like the fact that I didn't like the president. She loved the president, loves the president still. And she was very, very upset with me. She has deleted her Facebook profile. She, she's tired of going on Facebook because she is a nurse at a hospital and is completely overwhelmed. And has never seen anything like this. She's been a nurse for more than 20 years. And she goes home and she gets on Facebook and all of her friends say, oh, it's no big deal. It's overblown. We need to reopen. And she's like, you can't reopen. You have no idea what you're facing. Um, and it, the governor though has a plan, but all, most of the reporting class is in New York city. And so they're shaped by what's happened in New York city. This is by the way, when you get three snowflakes in central park, you get way more coverage of that than you get of, of storms anywhere else. You know, if the storms that blew through Georgia last night, had happened in New York city, that would be the lead story for the national news today. What happens in New York City is presumed to affect the entire country. And, of course, you know, if New York were its own own nation, it would be the 11th biggest economy on planet Earth. So it is a big deal, and it has been impacted worse than anyone else, largely because of local government incompetence, not because of Donald Trump. But I do have a concern, and I think it's a legit concern, that the media will cover the events of Georgia reopening and Florida reopening and, and other states reopening and will cover it in a way that blasts those states for doing what is in their best interest. And one of the things that we have seen repeatedly is that regionalism and federalism work. It's it's amazing how many uh, progressives have become champions of federalism because of the president. They want the president to do all sorts of expansive stuff, and at the same time, uh, they don't. Uh, They they want the president of the United States to be able to uh, reopen the country, but at the same time, they, they don't want the president to reopen the country. They want the president of the United States to be able to have a command and control process, but just not this president. It really is uh, just hackery in my mind to see them doing this. It, it, it really is hackery in my mind to see so many members of the media who you and I both know darn well if this president were named Barack Obama, they would believe he has way more expansive powers than they want to give credit to this president for. If this president were named Barack Obama, they would believe that he could shut down the whole country and reopen the whole country and would single-handedly come up with a cure for the virus. There is a real and clear media double standard on all of this. There is a real hatred for President Trump. And there has been some real glee. Uh, you could yeah, I, Listen, I follow a lot of reporters on social media. 
And you could see a lot of them almost gleeful at the idea that Southerners were all going to die from the plague. And listen, I'm not trying to be historical. Give me names. I'm not going to give you names. You can go find them on social media yourself. There were plenty of reporters out there on the left from major institutions like the New York Times and Politico and others who were almost gleeful. Brian Kipp's going to get them all killed. Ron DeSantis is going to let everybody die. Kay Ivey's going to wipe out Alabama, and that's good for us. I mean, they were almost, Republicans are anti-science, and this is proof of it. They're not shutting down their states like we did in New York State and California. And what's the result? Well, we've shut down not quite as long, and we're ready to reopen before they are. And so, you know, the standard line now is they're going to reopen and everybody's going to die. The virus is going to spread. They're going to overwhelm themselves again. <laughs> we told you so. As opposed to, hey, you know what? Regionalism works. Regionalism works. Federalism works. Let the states decide. You people told Brian Kemp he had to shut the whole place down, and he didn't. And guess what? Well, we've passed the peak way sooner than people expected. It's great to have a sponsor of the program that I don't even have to read a script for or anything. You know, they send scripts, but I don't have to have one with Quip because Quip is my toothbrush. It's my wife's toothbrush. It's my daughter's toothbrush. It's now my son's toothbrush. We are a 100% Quip household in our family, and I will tell you why. Because with some of those vibrating, fancy doodad toothbrushes, they're super expensive. You have to take a charger with you. They're hard to keep up with. Uh, the, the brush head size is so big and poorly designed, it doesn't fit in the back of your mouth, so you can't get the back of your mouth and the teeth clean. With the Quip, it is well-designed. You can tell that it's designed by dentists and designers working collaboratively. It's a great toothbrush. If you don't know what the Quip is, it's a battery-powered toothbrush where every three months they send you a new brush head for just five bucks. So you brush head stays, stays clean and in shape. You get a new battery. It's a AAA battery that it works with. And here's the cool thing. It vibrates great to clean your teeth. And every 30 seconds, it pulses so you know to change position in your mouth. And after two minutes, after you've got the dentist-recommended two-minute brushing, it turns itself off. So you don't have to worry about it. There's no fancy charger to carry around or keep up with. You just your toothbrush. And it comes with a great uh, little travel pouch you can put it in. Uh, it's, it's just it's a great design toothbrush. I've used mine for so long. Every time I go to my orthodontist now, I, I have braces. And every time I go to my dentist, he wants to know if I'm using teeth whitener and I'm not. I'm just using my quip twice a day for two minutes, just like Dennis recommend. It is fantastic. It is such a great design. Listen, this sponsor live read is taking longer than it should because I actually do really like my quip toothbrush. It is the best toothbrush I've ever had. And I hope you'll agree. You can go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now and get your first brush head refill pack for free with your quip. That's right. Your first brush head refill pack is free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson, it's get G E T Q U I P.com slash Erickson. It is the good habits company and it is a great toothbrush. Hello, Georgia. It is Eric Erickson here. How are you? Well, and everybody else too. I w- we, we allegedly will be spilling over across state lines soon. We'll still be a Georgia show, but now the, the fine folks of Alabama and Tennessee will soon be able to hear us. I'll have news on that when it, when it actually happens. I, my friends, want to give you the details on the governor's plan to reopen the state of Georgia. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, I, I want to do this in, in much the same way I did the last hour, although I will make it much more of a synopsis this time. Don't want to bore the people who have hung around it to get to this, but but let me let me give you uh, the, the, the quick skinny on, on uh, all the background here. 
Uh, there are reports now coming out of California and elsewhere that the virus may have spread further and been less deadly than we thought. And th- that's good news. We also have to be a little skeptical of these because we now know that the antibody tests that were used in these these tests actually generate a very high rate of false positives. So they may actually be showing more viral spread than there actually is because of the false positives. And also in the California test, every conservative on the planet has suddenly become an expert on uh, serology and and this. And I'm 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 sorry, I, I don't want to listen to the conservatives who read a read an article and suddenly decided they know what it is because they they linked to Wikipedia and, and uh, understood the terms. I actually want to listen to the actual expert doctors here and relate with the actual people who have spent their lifetime learning about this stuff say you know by the way can can i just uh, tangent time i love y'all and i love my friends on the right i have a lot of them and it's it's just it's sad to me that we've reached a point where we can't believe any expert or, or at least there are those who would have us believe we can't believe any expert when there actually are experts we can believe you know, medical science is interesting in that, like with chemistry, you should be able to reproduce something. If if I, a, a person, go through medical training and learn that if I cut here and sew there, I get this result, uh, everyone should be able to cut there and, and sew here and get the same result. In the same way, if I mix up a, a teaspoon of baking soda into a cup of vinegar, I should get the same result every time. They are duplicable because they are scientific. It's not scientism. Scientism is essentially the worship of science. Science is a faith belief. It is actual science. We should be able to recreate the tests. And so you can listen to an expert who is a doctor who has done this his whole life, as opposed to, for example, a social scientist which tends to to believe that you can take the behavior of people and form scientific theses, except people are emotional animals. Uh, they don't all respond to stimuli the same way. I, I thought it was very funny. ABC News released a tweet that said that um, uh, experts in social sciences, economics, and ethics have said we're going to need more testing before we can reopen the country. I, I literally I saw that tweet and thought, wait a second. Why the hell should we believe any of these? I'm sorry. Why the heck should we believe any of these people? They're they're not actual like experts in a field wherein you can duplicate experimentation based on documentation. Economists arguably uh, lean that way, but still economics is based on emotion by and large. And if we're real honest about it, there's a lot of emotion out there in the economy and you can't necessarily extrapolate. At a micro level, you can. So the supply and demand curve is is well settled. Nonetheless, I I don't want to digress too far down there, but you know there are some pe- experts you can believe. Epidemiologists are are people who have studied disease. Uh, they, they are scientists. They study these things. They can duplicate each other's work in the field, and and they can be assured that each of them is right. And so when the epidemiologists come out and say this is good news in California, the study in California is good news, except we have some problems. The antibody test used generates very high false positives, and there is strong evidence that a common cold can trigger a false positive. You have people in California who see a Facebook ad. They are overwhelmingly women. That, that by the way, is the first tip-off. This wasn't really a random sample because if it was a random sample, you should get about 50-50 men and women. 
Overwhelmingly, it was women. They tested positive for the virus uh, They at a time that you couldn't get a test. So you had a lot of people, it is presumed, a lot of people who were on Facebook saw they could get free testing at a time they wanted to test and couldn't find it. So they drove to the location, they got the testing. Guess what? A lot of them had it. But, 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 but. Saying all of that, there's this. None of them wound up in the hospital and none of them died that we know of. And that's good news. So it does it does suggest that the virus, the fatality is less, the hospitalization rate is less. Right now, the hospitalization rate is 20%. Uh, fatality rate is, is 3 to 5%. Dr. Fauci himself has said repeatedly, and now Dr. Burks has come out and said, that they actually think the fatality rate is going to be 1% when we take into account the people who had it and stayed home and didn't get tested. And that's good. It's still 10 times higher than the flu, but it's not nearly as bad as it, as it is. That's good. But I also did point out that, that you know, we've got 40,000 people who have died in eight weeks from this, and that's based on confirmed cases. If we look at the flu and we take out the presumed cases and just look at confirmed cases, we're looking at 7,000 flu deaths in a year of confirmed cases versus 40,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in eight weeks. That's a big difference. So the virus is still worse than the flu. That being said, we're over the hump. And now there's a plan. Brian Kemp has a plan to reopen the state. Let me delve into what the plan, based on my knowledge, is going to entail. That we will be open by May 1st for general business. And over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to start, we're going to ramp up the testing. And we're going to do a couple of things. People like me will have to continue to shelter in place. Now, why people like me? I'm perfectly fine. But my wife's got lung cancer. And so she's much more susceptible. If, if I were to get it, she would probably get it and it would be worse on her. So we will continue to shelter in place more likely than not. But most people will be able to go about their business under the governor's plan. You'll be able to go back to your office. You'll be able to start traveling again. You'll be able to go to the beach. You will have to maintain social distancing when you do. Families will be able to cluster together. Churches should be able to reopen, but will need to up the number of services they have on a Sunday to reduce crowd size per church service. So you will be able to go to church and you will be able to go as a family, but you will have to maintain social distance for a couple of weeks to make sure the virus isn't spreading. Your church will need to make sure that it is disinfecting and, and the deacons, the elders, and the, and the janitorial service will need to be cleaning the church pews afterwards, wiping them down. If you do these things, you'll be able to go back to church in a couple of weeks. You'll be able to go to your favorite restaurant and bar. They'll have to limit the number of people who can come into the restaurant and the bar initially. They'll have to make sure people are spread out. You won't have a bunch of people clustering around the bars, but you'll be able to go. You'll be able to go back to theaters and watch movies but they'll have to make sure that there's spacing between. You won't be able to go to a packed house anymore. You won't be able, when Milan and Black Widow come out, you won't have full houses. When James Bond comes out, by the time James Bond comes out, we may be able to all go pack in and watch it together. But to begin with, we'll have to maintain some level of social distancing, and that's fine. That's fine. But life will begin to resume normally. People will be able to reopen businesses. You will be able to go back to the mall. You will be able to go back to the department stores. You'll be able to go back to the restaurants. You'll be able to stand in line again at the ice cream stand. You'll just have to keep your distance from people to begin with. And what will happen is we will continue to test. 
And if there is anyone at all who has the slightest hint they may have the flu, if they'll start if they start feeling bad, they'll need to get quick access to tests. So part of this will be awareness and education. Part of opening will require that those of you who go out and about will need to pay attention to your bodies. If you have aches and pains and feeling bad, you'll need to stay home. You'll have to, you you will have to maintain vigilance. And if, and if, and if we get a little bit too comfortable, we risk the virus spreading again. You know, one of the things that, that we get to do for the next century now, for the next hundred years, we get to argue. Did we wreck our economy for nothing? Or by sheltering in place, did we stop a deadly virus from spreading? I take the position, as do most Americans, that by staying home, we stop the virus from spreading. But there are a lot of people, particularly in conservative media, where there is a natural distrust of institutions and government. There are a lot of people who believe that we wrecked our economy for no big deal. Now, I would point out to them that every country on the planet did the same thing. So if we wrecked our economy, everyone else did as well. If we can rebound quicker than them, well, then, hey, advantage to us. But uh, there are a lot of people who think that this is no big deal, that this was overblown. And and uh, ironically, a lot of them are using data from China, which they shouldn't do if the Chinese have lied the whole time, which we know they did. Maybe we should not make our case based on data from China. You know, it is very interesting. China has systematically for the last 50 years worked on wiping out the traditional nuclear family. China actually has limited um, it, up until recently. They had a, uh, You had to kill any child after the first child. In fact, in China, they had a thing called an abortion van where they literally would pull up, throw a woman in who they found out was pregnant with the second child and forcibly abort the child. That's, uh, by the way, I'm not making that up. That's actually real. And uh, so the, the, the country that has ruthlessly tried to wipe out uh, the family is now saying, hey, you know what was to blame for the virus? Families, large families. Families were to blame. If people didn't have large families, the virus wouldn't have spread like it did. It was, it was large families that were to blame. Maybe we shouldn't be listening to the Chinese. There will be precautions that we have to take along the way. One of them will be nursing homes. And I want to spend some time on that. But before I do, I want to go to the phones. I want to go to Jake calling from Macon. Welcome, Jake. How are you? Hey, Eric. How are you doing this morning? Great points this morning as, as normal. But the thing that hit me this morning was something that you mentioned is that people are starting to feel good about themselves. You know, the beaches are open and all that. I went to the post office on Saturday, and everyone had a face mask on, which was which was good. It was very comforting. Everybody stayed within six feet of each other, blah, blah, blah. And today, now I had to go back to the post office. No one has a face mask on. Go to Lowe's and bought some plants outside and was going to check out. There must have been 20 people in line at the checkout. No face mask. It's almost like the light switch went off. It says, oh, things are getting better. We don't have to wear the face mask. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you. I mean, I, 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 the hardware stores are the worst. Um, I, I, I have gone to several, uh, including I know the lows you're talking about, I bet. And this slammed with people. And it's like family reunion time. I'm like, do you people not yeah, know exactly, what's going on? Exactly. <laughs> 
Yes. And like game over, game over. Let's go back to normal. You know, so well, just yeah, want to make yeah, that comment. <laughs> yeah, look, Jake, I appreciate it, and you're right. I mean, we're, the, the governor's very insistent that. And by the way, those places could technically be shut down. Thankfully, they're not. That reminds me, by the way. Do do y'all know Onward Reserve? Uh, if you live in Georgia and you're listening, you should know Onward Reserve. It's a great clothing company. They've got uh, stores in Athens and Atlanta and Thomasville and a couple other places. Uh, they, they've spread out now. They've got one in D.C. They've got one in, in uh, Knoxville. I think they got one in Nashville. They're, they're, it's great, great people, wonderful people, salt-of-the-earth people, wonderful store, wonderful clothes. I, I, I order a lot from them. In fact, I need to put in another order. Just for Some ninny called the state police on Onward Reserve because they were working actually had the police show up at their corporate office and say someone complained that they weren't social distancing. It was probably a competitor. Uh, but seriously, mind your own business. You know, the the one thing, the one thing I wish that we would do after this is over is find all of the neighborhood narcs and shame them. I firmly believe we need to be social distancing, and I firmly believe you are irresponsible if you have a crowd of people at your house. But if you got a couple people hanging out with you on your front porch, it's really not a big deal. If you and your family are at the local park enjoying yourselves, it's really not a big deal. If you're open for business, it's really not a big deal. And the people, the neighborhood narcs who are out there calling the police and wasting the police's time on this stuff, they need to be named and shamed for eternity for having done that. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you'd like to call in, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I'm going to go back to, well, Macon, where I am, to talk to Patty. Patty, welcome. Hey, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm great today. Good. My question is, the discrepancy of information that's coming out, Governor Kemp was in his press conference last Monday where he said that Georgia would not reach the peak in cases until April the 26th. Well, if it's April the 26th, then that does not put us within the federal guideline to reopen until somewhere around the 13th to the 15th. So my first question is the discrepancy of information. And also, I'm an office manager in a dental practice, so we're keeping up with the CDC recommendations, the Georgia Dental Association recommendations, the ADA, all those things. And we're hearing May the 13th that we're not going to be able to see patients other than emergencies before May the 13th. So can you shed some light on that? Yeah, excellent questions. Okay, so the the modeling has shifted around a lot in Georgia, and it, it has shifted for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is because there was a, on April 7th, there was a massive spike in the number of deaths that day down in Albany, most of them senior citizens, and it was 100 people died. Right. More people died that day than, than any. That caused the modeling. Remember, the model tries to look ahead two weeks. And so the model okay. looked ahead by two weeks and said, if that's the case, then we're going to have to shift uh, when we think the peak is. And so the peak actually pushed out then to May 1st. 
Well, every day since April 7th, we've had fewer and fewer new cases. The, the numbers keep going up, but the daily number is declining. The, the percentage each day of growth has declined pretty significantly. Uh, and also the number of deaths has continued to go down. That's caused the model to now retract back to April 15th as the as the date of peak resources um so we did not max out hospital beds and we did not max out icu space and we have not maxed out ventilators and so the modeling is showing continued downward trajectory as a result the governor based on the new assessments for the modeling thinks that we'll be able to slow walk a reopen so you may not be able in your in your practice to be able to see patients face to face until the middle of may but you may be able to actually go out and about in your community a little more as long as you're maintaining social distancing. And that's really what they want to do is tell people you can start slowly going out. So bars and nightclubs you still can't go to. You can go get to-go orders from restaurants. And if restaurants can space people out more, you can go sit down at the restaurant and you can go back to your gym. Hallelujah. But by the middle of May, sometime around May 13th to May 15th, they think by then Things should be, as long as we don't see between now and then a big uptick in the virus, people should be able to go back to their daily lives, uh, and that includes going back to doctor's offices. One of the things that the CDC and the FDA are starting to realize is we kind of do need people to be going back to their doctor and dentist because those offices are starting to be financially impacted, and we don't want them to have to close up shops, so we got to find a way to get people back there. Does that make sense? It does. Like I said, we are considered essential in that right now the recommendation to us is we can only see emergency patients bleeding swelling broken teeth things like that right but as we continue to stay closed if they hold this until may the 13th we will have been closed eight weeks which as you know most dental offices Mm -hmm. are small businesses that's impacting us severely I mean, it's critical to us to be able to not only take care of our patients, but to be able to keep our doors open, even with the Small Business Administration loan, which the majority of that, the way we understand it, is supposed to go to salaries. Well, if you still have to pay rent, you still have to Mm -hmm. pay your light bill, all those things that go with overhead plus supplies – how can we maintain if we can't get back to work? Well, you know, it's also funny you say that there's actually word out of Washington today on that particular point uh, that they may consider additional plans for doctors and dentist offices uh, for, for that particular issue that you mentioned, because uh, 25% of the PPP can go towards mortgage and things like that. Um, but they realize that small business doctors and dentists are also having trouble. I gotta let you go there because I got a hard break, but thank you for the call. Uh, no guarantee that's going to pass, but it's under discussion right now um all that being said the governor's plan is georgia pacific so uh, georgia pacific georgia specific so please keep that in mind every state gets to analyze its own data and come up with its own plan and in georgia the governor's office says that he's ready to get people out of their houses as best he can with certain conditions the concern is that people get out of their house and the virus starts uh, picking back up so what do you do to let people out of their houses but make sure the virus doesn't spread again? They have some theories and ideas that we'll discuss when we come back. How on earth do you think that New York City, which has been the epicenter of this crisis, can get back on our feet without federal support? I remember famously in the 1970s when one of your predecessors, Gerald Ford, didn't care to help New York City. 
during the fiscal crisis. There was that famous daily news cover that said Ford to city drop dead. So my question is, Mr. Trump, Mr. President, are you going to save New York City or are you telling New York City to drop dead? Which one is it? But you have to speak up now or the Senate will not act and we will not get the help we need. It's as simple as that. That was Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, who completely screwed up the city of New York. And I want to put this in perspective for you as as we get into the methodologies by which we can open and the concerns and all of that. Uh, the, The busiest airport on planet Earth is in North America, but it is not New York's LaGuardia or JFK or Newark. It is Two Dead Mares International Airport in Atlanta, Georgia. It is overseen by Keisha Lance Bottoms, who conservatives do not like, but who has proven to be far more competent than the mayor of New York. You do not see Keisha Lance Bottoms demanding federal handouts. Uh, She was not out there encouraging people to go to St. Patrick's Day parties. She was not encouraging people to go out there and, and, and ride MARTA. She was not out there encouraging people to hang out in the parks and and to gather socially, saying that the virus wasn't spreading communally when we knew it was. She was not doing all of that. Uh, Bill de Blasio was. And Bill de Blasio was taking advantage of a media microphone where so much of the media is in New York City and affected by the virus to blast the president for not helping New York City get over its own screw-ups. Keisha Lance Bottoms in Atlanta was working collaboratively with the governor of the state of Georgia, decided to shut down uh, the city of Atlanta sooner than the state did to contain the virus. It was a wise decision for which she got a lot of criticism. The governor then expanded it to the state. Mayor Bottoms tried to allow people to still hang out until the photos came out of all the people on the Beltline in the park, not taking it seriously, and then she cracked down. She had a soft touch until she needed to have a firm touch. She was not like the mayor of New York City. And it mattered. I want to play for you real quick this from Brian Steltler on CNN. I'm not going to play the full thing, but I want you to hear some of this. It's okay to not be okay right now. That's the main thing I want to say to everyone watching. All of us are grieving, whether we sense it or not. All of us have lost something in the past few weeks. Some have suffered the ultimate loss of a father or mother or spouse or relative. Others have lost livelihoods. They've lost access to family and friends. Just losing the rhythms and routines that make life what it is, is is a profound loss. We're all grieving. But I have to admit to you, I had tried to bottle it all up. I guess I was trying to be stoic for my wife and kids. It wasn't until um, this Friday night that I hit a wall. I was supposed to be finishing my nightly newsletter that I I mentioned earlier. Um, But I couldn't do it. I couldn't get it done. I was so gutted by the death toll. I was so angry about the ignorance in Washington. I I was so worried about family members and friends who uh, are at risk of losing their jobs or who have already lost their jobs. It was that mix of emotions um, that many of you also feel. And that's when the tears came. We don't talk about this on TV much. I think we should change that. I think we should talk about this. No, we shouldn't. 
Um, it, listen, I, I, I don't fault him at all for that. There are a lot of people who are overwhelmed with emotion right now. I, I, I don't think we need a national cry fest on TV, though. Um, there are a lot of people who are overcome with emotion. There are a lot of people who are suffering out there right now protesting to reopen businesses, and the media is not taking them seriously. Despite uh, Stelter saying that uh, he he's he's upset about people losing businesses, there are a lot of people out there who are losing businesses right now because the country shut down who are angry, and they're protesting, and the media is attacking them for protesting. Now, I disagree with their protest, but I'm not going to attack them because I do understand uh, that, that they're angry. They think the government has, has overplayed its hand, and they want their businesses up and running again. They're not the bad guys here. They're suffering, too. Uh, and, and I understand that the uh, Brian Sutler, he, he said he essentially curled up in the fetal position and cried on Friday night. I do not want to mock him for doing that. And there are a lot of people who are. I saw one, one conservative say that, that uh, no one should cry unless they re- lose a relative or, or they've been badly injured or, or some such. Uh, you know, Jesus cried over Lazarus. I, I think we're, we're allowed to cry for, for the loss of friends and, and the impact of others. But let's not kid ourselves. That's shaping press coverage, too. The media disdain for the president is shaping press coverage of the virus. The media beat in New York City is shaping coverage of the virus. The media seeing the calamity in New York and losing members of of the press. NBC lost several people in New York City to the virus. That shapes the coverage. Stelter's emotional breakdown shapes the coverage. So when you see Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, Tennessee, South Carolina reopening, and they're not, that shapes the coverage. And I have a real sense that there's going to be a level of gleefulness in the media. They're not going to call it that, and they're going to be mad at me for pointing out, but there's going to be a, a sense of I told you so glee, gleefulness in media coverage if the virus rebounds in states that have reopened. See, what are the, the, the underlying things that some of the experts say is that we can't reopen, that we have to stay sheltered in place, that we can't rebound. Y'all, I, I'm in the shelter in place camp, but I'm also in the it's time to reopen camp. I'm in the this is a big deal camp, but also it's a big deal if every business in America goes under camp. It's possible to be more than, than in one camp or the other. It, it is possible to to be uh, in multiple positions, that it's a really big deal, and we've needed to do what we've done. We had no better solution, but we're on the other side of this thing, and let's figure out a way to reopen. And the media can't help itself. You, you know, there, there was this level of, of if, you, if you get my Substack email, you've seen the graph. The media for weeks told us that southern states were going to be hit the hardest because their governors are anti-science. The Trump supporters are anti-science. And they're all going to die as a result. They told us that it was going to be worse in Georgia and Florida because those governors delayed action. The national press assailed Ron DeSantis assailed Brian Kemp, assailed Kay Ivey. There is a website, uh, I forget now, Let hang on, I can, I can give you the website address so you can see it yourself. Uh, it is a statistics website 
stadia.com. And it has the death rate for coronavirus in the United States as of April 18th per 100,000 people. Per 100,000 people, let me give you, per 100,000 people as of April 18th, 66 out of 100,000 have died in New York, 43 out of 100,000 in New Jersey, 29 Connecticut, 26 Louisiana, 22 Michigan, 20 Massachusetts, 12 District of Columbia, 11 Rhode Island, 9 Illinois, 9 Pennsylvania, 8 Washington, 8 Indiana, 7 Colorado, 6 Maryland, 6 Virginia, or Vermont rather, 6 Delaware, 6 Georgia, 5 Nevada, five Mississippi. Let, let's go through this list again. Um, the, the top 10, New York, Democrat, New Jersey, Democrat, Connecticut, Democrat, Louisiana, Democrat, Michigan, Democrat, Massachusetts, Democrat, New uh, District of Columbia, Democrat, Rhode Island, Democrat, Illinois, Democrat, Pennsylvania, Democrat, Washington, Democrat. You got to go to number 11 to Indiana to get a Republican state. That's eight. And then, oh, wait, back to the Democrats, Colorado, Maryland, Vermont, Delaware. Democratic states with states with Democratic governors, I should say. Louisiana is not really a, a Democratic state, but it has a Democratic governor who, who didn't want to shut down Mardi Gras because of the revenue. The top 10 states, they're Democrat. Now, I, I want you to be very, 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 very clear here before you start yelling at me in a spittle rage. This is not to make a partisan point on my, my behalf. And I need you to understand, I'm not trying to make a partisan point. My point is that a lot of members of the media were trying to make partisan points. A lot of members of the media were trying to say it was those Trump states that were going to be the hardest hit. A lot of those people were trying to make the point that people like Brian Kemp and Kay Ivey and, and uh, what what's his name, uh, McMaster in South Carolina and DeSantis in Florida, that they were in Bill Lee in Tennessee. They were going to have a bunch of people die because they were anti-science. They, they were anti-real. They, they were bought into Trump land fantasy and all they were all going to die. The top 10 states. Are Democrat deaths per hundred thousand? Maybe we shouldn't be looking at this in terms of electoral college. Maybe we shouldn't be looking at death in terms of partisan politics. That's what the media did, and I realize there are going to be people who selectively edit this and say that's what I'm doing. That's not my point. My point is to say members of the media did it, and it didn't turn out so well for them if we hold them by their standard. If we hold them by their standard, places like Georgia and Alabama and Florida have done remarkably well. And, you know, in in New York, New York has done remarkably well outside of New York City. New Jersey's done remarkably well outside of major areas like Newark and Trenton. Connecticut's done well the further away from New York City you get. Louisiana's not doing so well. Michigan's not doing so well. Massachusetts isn't doing so well. But they tried to make it a partisan point. The media did. Members of the media, reporters from the New York Times and elsewhere, tried to make it partisan, tried to say that that Southern Republican governors were going to get everybody killed because they were anti-science, and the data doesn't bear that out. Maybe they should stop trying to make this about partisan politics. It's a virus. The virus does not care who you voted for. It is worth noting that these are urban areas, and, and that gets to the reopening of Southern states, urban areas have the potential to have this virus spread more thoroughly than rural areas because you come into contact with more people more often. But there's something else here as well. Elder care facilities, 
seemingly are incubators for this virus. People who are infected come into a nursing home. They spread it to the senior citizens in the nursing home who slowly begin to die while spreading the virus to the healthcare workers and other visitors who then leave the nursing homes and spread into the communities. We're seeing this play out down in Albany, Georgia. Now, Albany did not spread because of a nursing home. Albany spread because of a funeral and a pastor. It was a large funeral. And my understanding is there were actually two funerals. The pastor preached. People got the virus from the pastor who was infected and didn't know it. They spread it into the community, and it got into the nursing homes down in Darty County and Lee County. And it started spreading badly. Nursing homes are incubators for this virus. And we're going to have to figure out a plan. And that's part of what Governor Kemp wants to do here in Georgia is figure out a way to contain it in that way. Uh, Largely, largely by prohibiting people from continuing to visit nursing homes and elder care facilities and hospitals, at least for the time being until the summer. But, you know, there's something else here as well. You know, let's say the virus, let's say the virus does slow down because of the heat. Now, there is some data out there that suggests it doesn't. Singapore, for example, is, is having a rebound of the virus and it's in the 90s there in high humidity. But let's say it does. Let's just say Singapore is an anomaly and that the virus slows down the heat. You know, that's going to give southern states an advantage. That's going to give a place like Florida an advantage. It's going to give a place like um, southern California an advantage compared to northern California. Southern California tends to be more Republican than northern California. Still not by much. L.A. is still pretty liberal. San Diego area. But Louisiana, Texas, Alabama, South Carolina, Mississippi, Tennessee, Arkansas, the, the, the Confederacy, dare I say that, the, 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 the southern states. It's hot and humid during the summer there. It gets hotter and more humid there earlier than it does up north. That's going to give them an economic advantage if the virus doesn't spread. And you can be sure there will be holy hell from members of the media and the Democrats that southern states are rebounding faster than northern states. And because we're seeing members of the press refuse to give up partisan coverage of this, they're going to make that partisanship as they're going to make that about partisanship as well. They're going to they're going to get nasty. I think. I hope I'm wrong on this, but this far I've been pretty right on this stuff. And that's not to pat myself on the back. It's just I, I, I worked at CNN. I worked at Fox. I, I, I have plenty of friends in the media. I pay attention to the media. I, I see what they've been doing. They were making partisan points. New York Times reporters, political reporters, and the like. They were making partisan points about the death toll that Republican states, because they're anti-science, they were all going to die. And you know what? The data doesn't bear that out. And I suspect they're going to get nasty when southern states are able to rebound sooner than than cooler weather states. And they're going to demand action as a result, or they're going to say they're going to say they're, they're going to be the ones to concoct the conspiracy that Donald Trump helped these states because they're his states. I suspect we're going to see something like that happen. And that's unfortunate. All right. I got to I got to get the outfit right. There's yes. Just bear with me. Yes, I know I'm a terrible radio show host for, for doing this on the fly or like this. 
Uh, yes, 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 yes. Th- this is, uh, yep. Uh, huh? <laughs> uh, this is, this is, this is one of the reporters for CBS news. Uh, is this the woman who claims someone at the white house called it the Wuhan virus to her? I, I can't remember. Um, but nonetheless, uh, listen to this exchange with the president. I just, I, I fell out laughing at this one. And we just saw you saw Brett Baer making a statement. They had a debate well into February and not even mentioned. It wasn't even mentioned. The Democrats, we were very early. Oh, I'm I'm the president. And you know what I just did? And you know what I just. And by the way, when you issued the ban, the virus was already here. Okay. And you know how many people when I issued the ban, how many cases of virus were in the United States when I issued the ban? Do you know the number? There was. No, no. How many cases? Remember, I said one person. How many cases were here when I issued the ban? But Tell did me. you know? No, no, no. Do you have to do your research? How many? Ba- I did my research. On the 23rd of March, you said you knew this was going to be a pandemic. Can I tell you what? Well I did know it. I did know it. All I have to do is look. So you knew All, it anybody knew it. Just, are you ready? How many cases were in the United States when I did my ban? How many people had died in the United States? So do you acknowledge that you didn't think Keep your voice down, please. Keep your voice down. Did you not? How many? How many? How many cases were in the United States? I did a ban where I'm closing up the entire country. How many people died? And that's a fair point. How many people died in the United States? And yet I closed up the country and I believe there were no deaths, zero deaths at the time I closed up the country. Nobody was there. And you should say thank you very much. <laughs> Listen. So, okay, let's acknowledge she has a, a legitimate question, but let's also acknowledge the president has a very fair point. There were less than a dozen cases in the United States when he issued a ban on travel with China and the media wants to give him no, you know, this is part of the problem I have with this whole thing is the media is way more interested in litigating the past than dealing with the future. They are way more interested in trying to get the president to apologize for not being quicker. And by the way, they, they want to hang uh, prior statements on him. Uh, like, for example, and I'll get into this in, in the next hour, uh, the president in January and February was complimentary of China and the aid they were given. We did not know at the time China was lying. The media doesn't want to acknowledge that they themselves were duped by China. They only want to they only want to say, how, how can the president take this position now? It's so contradictory to what he was doing in, in January and February. Of course, at the time, we thought China was being honest with us. Now, those of us who know knew you should never uh, treat China as if they're being honest. But the president did, and so did the media. Why is the president to be blamed? You know, the essentially what the media is doing is they are laying their sins on the president. He is their Jesus. They must sacrifice him to repent of their sins. That's what's happening here. I know that sounds bombastic, but the media are the ones who've been over backwards to kowtow to China. The media are the ones who've been over backwards to downplay the virus. The media are the ones who've been over backwards to say the virus was no big deal. And suddenly it is the president who must be sacrificed for them to be absolved of their own sins. And we should be willing to point that I may have to tweet that. Boy, is that going to rile some people up? But it sure is. That's what's happening with members of the media. And they'll say, well, he was the president. He shouldn't have gotten it wrong. 
it's great to have a sponsor of the program that I don't even have to read a script for anything. You know, they send scripts, but I don't have to have one with Quip because Quip is my toothbrush. It's my wife's toothbrush. It's my daughter's toothbrush. It's now my son's toothbrush. We are a 100% Quip household in our family, and I will tell you why. Because with some of those vibrating, fancy doodad toothbrushes, they're super expensive. You have to take a charger with you. They're hard to keep up with. Uh, the, the brush head size is so big and poorly designed, it doesn't fit in the back of your mouth, so you can't get the back of your mouth and the teeth clean. With the Quip, it is well-designed. You can tell that it's designed by dentists and designers working collaboratively. It's a great toothbrush. If you don't know what the Quip is, it's a battery-powered toothbrush where every three months they send you a new brush head for just five bucks. So you brush head stays, stays clean and in shape. You get a new battery. It's a AAA battery that it works with. And here's the cool thing. It vibrates great to clean your teeth. And every 30 seconds, it pulses so you know to change position in your mouth. And after two minutes, after you've got the dentist-recommended two-minute brushing, it turns itself off. So you don't have to worry about it. There's no fancy charger to carry around or keep up with. You just your toothbrush. And it comes with a great uh, little travel pouch you can put it in. Uh, it's it's just it's a great design toothbrush. I've used mine for so long. Every time I go to my orthodontist now, I, I have braces. And every time I go to my dentist, he wants to know if I'm using teeth whitener. And I'm not. I'm just using my Quip twice a day for two minutes, just like dentists recommend. It is fantastic. It is such a great design. Listen, this sponsor live read is taking longer than it should because I actually do really like my Quip toothbrush. It is the best toothbrush I've ever had, and I hope you'll agree. You can go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now and get your first brush head refill pack for free with your Quip. That's right. Your first brush head refill pack is free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson, it's get, G-E-T, QUIP.com slash Erickson. It is the Good Habits Company and it is a great toothbrush. Y'all, uh, this w- it was my hot take moment, but I think I'm actually on to something. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let, let me, let me, let me, let me go back to, to this audio. I, I, I did play it earlier. I want to play it now. We'll get back into the governor's plan. The governor, by the way, press conference, 4 o'clock, the governor on reopening the state of Georgia. I want to get to this audio from Fareed Zakaria at CNN. Bear with me. There's a method to my madness. Listen to this. President Trump now tells us China is to blame for the havoc that the coronavirus is wrecking across the world. He's paused funding to the World Health Organization because he says it colluded with China in keeping the facts hidden. To evaluate these claims, just keep in mind one tweet from the president on January 24th. China has been working very hard to contain the coronavirus. The United States greatly appreciates their efforts and transparency. It will all work out well, in particular on behalf of the American people. I want to thank President Xi. What did the world, including President Trump, know about the virus at that point? Well, one day earlier, on January 23rd, the World Health Organization warned All countries should be prepared for containment of the virus, including active surveillance, early detection, isolation, and case management. Okay, I I, want to get back to my hot take because I said it and I actually think it's a legit point. I do. Donald Trump. Now, <laughs> let, let, let me pause here and apologize in advance. Some of you are about to be offended 
particularly if you have an MDiv, you may be offended. If you have a DD, there's nothing to worry about because you didn't do it anyway. <laughs> if you know, you know. All right. Here's my hot take of the day, and I think there's merit to it. Donald Trump is the media's Jesus. He must be crucified to absolve them of their sins of what they didn't report and what they got wrong. You heard Fareed Zakaria saying this. Uh, the, the president now, is he's attacking China, attacking China, but he was praising China. He was praising China. A, a, at the same time, Fareed Zakaria couldn't talk because he was full in his mouth of, of China's nonsense. You, you got it. Let me play this. If you just tuning in, let me play this exchange again. This is the, the CBS news reporter, Wee Ji Zhang from CNN or CBS uh, with the president. And we just saw you saw Brett Baer making a statement. They had a debate well into February and not even mentioned. It wasn't even mentioned. The Democrats, we were very early. Oh, I'm, I'm the president. And you know what I just did? And you know what I just. By the way, when you issued the ban. The virus was already here. Okay, and you know how many people, when I issued the ban, how many cases of virus were in the United States when I issued the ban? Do you know the number? There was... No, no, how many cases? Remember I said one person. How many cases were here when I issued the ban? Tell me. No, 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 you have to do your research. How many... I did my research. On the 23rd of March, you said you knew this was going to be a pandemic. Can I tell you what? I did know it. I did know it. All I have to do is look. Anybody knew it. Just, are you ready? How many cases were in the United States when I did my ban? How many people had died in the United States? So do you acknowledge that you didn't think Keep your voice down, please. Keep your voice down. Did you not how many, how many, How many cases were in the United States? I did a ban where I'm closing up the entire country. How many people died? And that's a fair point. How many people died in the United States? And yet I closed up the country and... I believe there were no deaths, zero deaths at the time I closed up the country. Nobody was there. And you should say thank you very much. So, listen, she doesn't want to acknowledge that in January, and I bet she was one of the reporters. I haven't done the research. But remember, the Democrats and the media were saying that it was xenophobic for the president to close up shop with China. Remember, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Dan Crenshaw was on with Bill Maher on Friday night. And pointed out when uh, Bill Maher was saying the president did nothing, Dan Crenshaw was pointing out that, you know, when the president closed up shop with China, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats were saying they were going to push a bill through Congress that would prohibit the president from banning travel because of his racism and xenophobia over shutting up travel with China. And the media heralded Nancy Pelosi for it. The media at the time was saying it was racist for the president to do it and he was distracting from impeachment. February rolls around and the media is telling us that the virus is not spreading. Look at New York City. They're not worried. New York City is worried. Why is everybody freaked out? New York City isn't worried. China's being honest with us. China has given us all the facts. China's given us all the data. China's being honest with us. Look at what China's doing. China's wonderful. Just like last year. By the way, pay no attention to the fact that the Chinese are now rounding up all the Hong Kong dissidents from last year. The media largely ignored the Hong Kong dissidents last year because they didn't want to offend the NBA. They didn't want to offend China. The media has been the one telling us, you know, it's the southern states. They're all going to die because they're anti-science. Turns out it's the blue states that have been hit the hardest. It's not to make a partisan point, but to know that the media was making a partisan point. So the president is the media's Jesus. He's got to be crucified so the media can be absolved of their own sins in this. 
I realize it's an inflammatory point. I realize it's a hot take. But honest to goodness gracious, we have seen nonstop the media demanding the president account for what he got wrong. And whenever you say that the media got something wrong, they say, well, we're not the president of the United States. We don't have the experts. You got the freaking former FDA commissioner on TV every day. You get Dr. Fauci out there every single day. You get all these other experts. You got Ron Klain, uh, Joe Biden's advisor. He's on all the time saying what all the, the president screwed up with. Ron Klain, by the way, is out now saying Dr. Fauci's wrong. We can't open the country again. I swear to you, by the time we get to November, this race is going to be about can we reopen the country or not? Advantage Trump. The media is assailing the president for what he did or did not do in February when the media itself was saying everything was hunky-dory in February. The media is assailing the president for things he said, trying to tell people not to panic. And that's one of the things that the media has never seemed to understand is that when the president was telling people it's not going to spread, it's no big deal, he was trying to get people to not panic. It's just fascinating to me to see how the media feels they must, in all cases, go after the president, but never, ever wants to hold themselves accountable. And that's fine. Listen, he is the president of the United States. We should hold the president to a higher standard than the press. The problem is that the press doesn't want to hold themselves to any standard. They want to bury the correction on the back page of the New York Times five years after they made the error. They don't want to actually hold themselves accountable. And so every day at the White House briefing, we are now treated to a cavalcade of reporters demanding to know why the president said something in February. Why was the media saying the same thing? Because the media doesn't trust the president, and that's the point. The media doesn't trust the president. The media has never trusted the president, and they were toting the same party line as the president. The media does not believe the president of the United States, and yet the media was saying the same thing the president was saying, and now they demand that he be held accountable, and they're not going to be held accountable. They don't want to be held accountable. They don't want introspection. They don't want self-reflection. And yet they were saying the same thing. Did they believe the president? Because they never believed the president. They must have gotten it from somewhere else. Where do they get it from? Because you know that they don't take anything the president says at face value. For God's sakes, they fact check the president if he says the sky's blue. No, actually, it's kind of partly cloudy today, and that blue's a refraction. It's not really blue. The president has to be punished so that the media gets a pass. And that's a real problem. It's a real problem. It's a problem because we depend on an honest media in this country. We depend on a media that is willing to tell us the truth. And the media has not really been capable of telling us the truth of late because they've been more about beating the president. And telling the truth and beating the president are not the same thing despite 
the number of progressives out there would, that would have you believe otherwise. So this gets me to Georgia and reopening. The media believes and has said so fairly open, and I shouldn't say the media, but a lot of prominent reporters have believed Republican governors are anti-science, that they will believe the president and the president always lies, and they will now rush to reopen and spread the virus and everyone will die. A Miami Herald columnist essentially said the other day, good riddance, let all these people die. She's now deleted that tweet and is having to apologize. They didn't really mean that. What I meant was I was trying to raise weirdness that the virus is going to spread and people go to the beach. No, no, she she was pretty pretty giddy at the fact that Republicans might kill themselves by getting the virus. Honestly, at this point, I kind of think we do need to open the country up so that we can kind of settle the dispute over whether or not we should have. We should just go to full open right now, just flip the switch and, and everybody go back to work tomorrow. Now, we can't do it wouldn't really be responsible to do that, but there are a lot of people who 100 years from now are still going to be arguing we wrecked the economy for nothing and they need to see it actually was a big deal because they don't believe it. But at the same time, the media is going to slow roll this thing and any death is going to be amplified. See, they shouldn't have reopened. They were wrong. But remember the media originally, they didn't think we should shut down. They, they didn't think we should close the border. They didn't think we should stop travel. Remember when the president announced we were going to stop travel with with European countries? What was the first reaction from the media? Oh, well, he's not doing it to Great Britain. Why? Because he's got a golf course there. This is all about his personal arrangement. They couldn't even play that straight. They had to go with him. They, They had to go after him. We're not going to get an honest reflection from the press of what's happening on the ground. And that is why I think we get so much skepticism out there. We we genuinely get so much skepticism. Y'all, I I I I listen, the president got stuff wrong. Let's just acknowledge the president got stuff wrong. You should be willing to transcend tribal loyalties to admit there was stuff the president got wrong. Testing has been a real problem, and the president continues to say everyone who wants a test can get a test, and I know people who can't get a test. The president was wrong when he said he had total power to reopen the country. No, the governors do. But if we're willing to admit the president got things wrong, and he did, he he did get things wrong. There were things the president could have done. For example, it was very clear a pandemic was shaping up. We should have already started telling 3M and others, hey, we're going to need more masks. We got a lot of masks. And guess what? They dry rotted because the Obama administration didn't need, do what they needed to do. To get, oh, I just went there. Yes, didn't I? Yes. Those masks that have been in storage for the United States did not suddenly decide to dry rot when Donald Trump became president. They were dry rotting when Barack Obama was president and the Obama administration didn't pay attention. But we have to leave him out of it because he's sainted. So it's got to be Donald Trump's problem. Well, Donald Trump could have done things differently. He could have he could have ordered evaluations. He could have gone through. He could have checked up. He he could have he could have made sure that the bureaucrats were out there telling getting things ready, reaching out to private businesses, saying, "Hey, you probably need to ramp up these things." Hey, telling private private management who saw the toilet paper shortage coming. By the way, randomly, you know the randomest shortage in Macon, Georgia, where I am right now, Heinz ketchup. Can't find it anywhere. Clearly, people have taste and they're buying the good stuff first. But nonetheless, the president did do stuff wrong. But so did the media. 
the media reported a lot of garbage. The media has continued to defend China. Look at the great freakout over the World Health Organization. We can't do anything to them. We can't hold them accountable. We can't investigate them. And, and that, that really is my problem here. As, as much as the president can annoy me, the media annoys me even more because the president is who he is and he always has been and he's not going to change. The media holds the president to a standard they won't hold themselves to. But he's the president of the United States. You could fact check yourselves. You could correct your own errors. You could stop treating this as a red state, blue state matter. It's a virus that doesn't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. I, I, I am not aware of the coronavirus going and pulling people's voter registration files. I think I'll affect that guy because he's a Republican. And yet that's the way the media reports this stuff. Come on, if you're going to hold the president to a, to a high standard, hold yourself to a high standard. What the media wants right now is to hold no one in the media to a standard at all and bash the president. The president must pay for the media getting their own stuff wrong. The president got a lot wrong. The media did too. And it's ridiculous to hear that exchange with that reporter in the White House where, didn't you do, didn't you do, and she doesn't even have the basic answers. It's like the guy who asked about oil and didn't even know what the oil price was. You're going to ask a question about oil prices and not know the price of oil? Come on. Reporters, do your jobs. Stop making it red-blue. Stop making it partisan. Stop thinking that New York City is a reflection of the entire nation. It's not. There are ways to do this, and some are doing it really, really good. Some are really good at this. Jake Tapper is a paragon of media virtue right now. More people should be like him. More people should be like Brett Baer. Instead, we got a bunch of wannabe Jim Acostas. It is Eric Erickson and the phone number. If you want to call, I'm bad about giving out the phone number today because I got so much stuff to talk about. The phone number is though 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I put this off from Friday and I need to get to this. Um, da, 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 da. Where, where's the story? I, I rearranged it. Where is it? Where is it? Uh, there we go. There we go. I love this. This is from a professor of philosophy. Stephen Asma, does the pandemic have a purpose? Only if we give it one. The coronavirus is neither good nor bad. It wants only to reproduce. Nature doesn't care about you. That may seem harsh. By the way, don't you love my NPR voice? <laughs> that nature doesn't care about you. That may seem harsh. But strictly speaking, nature doesn't care about anyone or anything except passing genes into the next generation. We know this if we've studied evolution. It was Darwin's great achievement to explain the adaption of organisms without appeal to God's design or mystical idealism. Darwinian evolution is true, corroborated by mountains of evidence. But it's also a cold metaphysics. The biologist Stephen Jay Gould described it as a cold bath view of nature, not warm and fuzzy in the way religion characterizes nature. By the way, um, you know, Darwinian evolution is true. Actually, there are all sorts of holes in it. Anyone who knows about Darwinian evolution knows there are all sorts of holes, including where's the big jump from apes to people, which Darwin doesn't actually claim, but, but people who came after him did. Nonetheless, the point here is, you know, I'm actually really fascinated by the atheist religion. Now, everyone 
is religious. Even the atheist is religious. You may not believe in the God of all creation, but you worship something. Where you throw your money is probably what you worship. And for those who say, well, I spent all my money on my power bill and my mortgage and my cable bill. So you worship yourself. Okay. Everybody has a religion, including the atheist. And I'm really fascinated by the atheist religion. It is such a compelling religion. There is no God, and when you die, the worms eat your body, and there is no purpose except to reproduce and die. What a what a compelling vision. Uh, and by the way, pay no attention to the little voice in the back of your head that says there's something else. Don't pay attention to that voice. That voice is crazy. No, don't go there. No, you might find Jesus. It's just, it's, it's fascinating to hear these people reflect for a moment on the rhizocephala or root-headed barnacle, which lives its life feeding inside crabs and other crustaceans. It gets inside the crab as a seed and begins to spread throughout the host in a series of complex root systems, often infiltrating like a creeping vine. Every limb of the crab, that root system castrates its host, stops the crab's molting cycle and keeps it alive all while feeding off of it for years. Yummy, yummy for my tummy. Uh, Y'all, seriously, the, 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 the atheist religion is like the worst at selling itself on others. You essentially have to be raised an atheist or have a, get mad at God and decide, well, he doesn't exist because he's not giving me what I want. I mean, and then what is your life view? Hey, I'm going to die and eventually I'm going to be forgotten to history and the worms are going to eat my body. See that tree? One day part of my guts will be in a tree like such a lovely, cheery disposition on the world. And it's no wonder these people are so hostile to anything else. If your worldview is life has no meaning and you're just going to die, of course you're bitter, angry people who think that nature is cold and sterile. Look outside. It's gorgeous outside. Clearly there's a God who loves us, but... Not in the atheist religion. The atheist religion, it's just brutal and nasty out there. Do y'all know who the real enemy is right now? I, I, I did not know this. Harvard, Harvard successfully educated me on this. The real enemy right now. Homeschoolers. Yeah, we'll get to it. Before I get to that, though. I need to put in a plug for Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce because I continue to get feedback from those of you who have discovered it, that it's excellent. They're sponsoring the program, and I feel compelled to tell you, you should go get your Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce, and you can get it at your Walmart, your Winn-Dixie, your, your Piggly Wiggly. Uh, you can get it all over the state of Georgia, and it's good stuff, and I highly recommend it. It's America's oldest still-manufactured barbecue sauce. And it's local. You want to support Georgia businesses? Buy Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. And it's actually kind of really cool because they've been a staple in my house for a while and now they're sponsoring the show. So, yay, uh, go buy Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. And now, The Risks of Homeschooling by Aaron O'Donnell. And this is, oh, this is Harvard's magazine. I got to describe for you first the picture. The picture is of children, happy children playing outside. One little girl has a soccer ball. One non-sex neutral child is jumping rope. There are other um, sexually androgynous children running around. And then there's a little ginger girl staring behind prison bars on a window that is a house. And the walls of the house are made of books. And the books that make the walls of the prison house where the ginger-haired girl is staring out from behind the prison bars. One book says reading. One book says writing. 
One book says arithmetic, and the last book says Bible. Dun, dun, dun. A rapid increasing number of American families. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I need to read this in the official feminist voice of the Eric Erickson show. That is how this must be read, because I assure you it is a feminist who wrote this. So, the official feminist voice of the Eric Erickson show. A rapidly increasing number of American families are opting out of sending their children to school, choosing instead to educate them at home. Homeschooled kids now account for roughly 3% to 4% of school-age children in the United States, a number equivalent to those attending charter schools and larger than the number currently in parochial schools. I am woman, hear me roar. Yet Elizabeth Bartholet, Wasserstein, public interest professor of law and faculty director of the law school's child advocacy program, sees risks for children and society in homeschooling and recommends a presumptive ban on the practice homeschooling, she says not only violates children's right to a meaningful education and their right to be protected from potential child abuse, but may keep them from contributing positively to a democratic society. We have an essentially unregulated regime in the area of homeschooling, Bartholet asserts. All 50 states have laws that make education compulsory and state constitutions ensure a right to education. But if you look at the legal regime governing homeschooling, there are very few requirements that parents do anything. Thus ends the reading in the official feminist voice of the Eric Erickson show. (laughs) Y'all, seriously, she wants a ban on homeschools. Why? Because those kids, they may not be able to participate in democracy. Why? Because they keep winning spelling bees. (laughs) These people. Okay. You know, this goes back to a prior point. Let's rewind the tape a little bit to the show. We've rewound now. People who are atheists are either raised by atheist parents or they have some falling out with God where they become atheist because God doesn't give them what they want and so they decide God must not exist. They get mad at God. This is much like the the people who are against homeschooling. Either their kid lost a spelling bee to a homeschool kid or they had some bad experience with it along the way and so they decided it must be bad for everyone. We must ban it for everyone. This is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Bartlett maintains parents should have very significant rights to raise their children with the beliefs and religious convictions that the parents hold. Except does she really believe that or is she just saying it? But requiring children to attend schools outside the home for six or seven hours a day, she argues, not only unduly limits parents' influence on a child's view. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, pause. Let's hit pause. Bartlett maintains parents should have very significant rights to raise their children with the beliefs and religious convictions the parents hold, but but requiring children to be in school outside the home 
it could limit the parents' ability to influence children's views. Now, she says, she says, she argues that requiring kids to be outside the home for six to seven hours a day does not unduly limit parents' influence on a child's views. But the issue is, do we think that parents should have 24-7 essentially authoritarian control over the children from age zero to 18? I think that's dangerous. Why does she hate her parents? I mean, does she have some parental hangup here? I mean, not to, not to delve into the, the, the psychology of it, but wow. By the way, do you know that the overwhelming majority of homeschool students in the United States are not actually Christians? But that, that's it. It's, it's amazing how she, she points out that all these kids that are being indoctrinated into their parents' religious views. And, and you know, if they're, in this, if they're in a homeschool and their parents are Christians, they may discriminate against the transgender community and the alphabet gang. Interestingly enough, she commends the fact that Germany bans homeschooling entirely. Do we really want to ban homeschooling entirely because the Germans do it? Is that really an excuse to ban homeschooling? Hey, the Germans don't do homeschooling either. Hmm. What else have the Germans done that maybe we don't want to take lessons from? I don't know. I have no idea. This is just, (laughs) oh my goodness gracious. Y'all, let's just be honest here. Secularists in academia don't like homeschoolers because homeschooling kids tend to do better than the other kids. And what actually happens is that you go to school and you're doing way better. You go to college and you're doing way better than a kid who went to a public school. And suddenly it makes people realize how bad the public schools are in the country. You know, this is one of the things that's happening with this virus. Right now. Yes, there is a viral angle to this. Parents across America are homeschooling their children. As I speak outside my soundproof doors and down the hall, my child is engaged in academic study. My wife's teaching him to be a mixologist because if we have to keep homeschooling pretty soon, man, things are going to end badly. My kids are going to be awesome bartenders one day. I kid, I'm kidding. Relax, I'm kidding. Actually engaged in academic study. Doing math right now. And, you know, so my kids went to a a different private Christian school in town, uh, one connected to our church, and they were doing common core math. And there were a variety of reasons we chose to move to a smaller classical education Christian school in town. One of the big ones was math. My wife has a uh, degree in computer programming. She was in engineering school for a while. She wound up graduating from college with a degree in psychology. Her father is an engineer from Georgia Tech. And they couldn't help our kid with the common core math homework. In fact, the number of friends we have who we have seen in the last month of homeschooling who have been outraged by how math is taught these days in Common Core is going to bring the whole thing down. I mean, the single greatest thing to undermine Common Core in this country is that parents are now having to help their kids on a daily basis with their academic work, realizing how bad the Common Core system is. And it's just fascinating to me that at a time that every parent in America is having to homeschool their child, or wait, 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 shall we be honest? 
at a time that every competent, capable parent is homeschooling their child. Are we allowed to say that? Is that going to get me in trouble for saying, because let's just be honest here. There are some parents who are working their butts off and they don't have time, but there are a lot of parents who couldn't care less. And that, you know, that's, you know, you, you, the law says you got to send your kid to school. And this is one of the things where I'm very sympathetic to teachers who have to be, uh, who, who are graded based on the performance of their kids. And in public school, you got a lot of kids who are just there because the parents make them be there. The law says you got to be there. The parents couldn't care less. And so these teachers are getting graded on kids who their parents are like, I don't care whether you, you pass or fail. But now all the parents who care and are capable, they're having to homeschool their kids and they're seeing just how bad some of this stuff is. Having to see just how bad common core math is, seeing how bad some of the, the, the stuff they're learning in schools or how behind their kid is. They're having to be engaged in their kid's academic success all of a sudden. And and it's just, it, it's impressive. It, it's just, it's impressive that, that people are, are getting involved and getting engaged and get behind their kid's education. And everybody's homeschooling right now. And here comes this Harvard professor saying, it's bad. It's bad. People are allowed to indoctrinate their children. They make their children learn the Bible. There is a great misconception, by the way, that the only people who homeschool are Christians. You know, I know some families who homeschool, and they're not, they're not, I mean, they're, they're Christians, but they're not really, they're not regular church-going Christians. They, they show up at Easter and Christmas. They're one of those. Do you know why they homeschool? Because they live out west on a farm, and it takes them 45 minutes to get to school. And it's just easier to homeschool. See, there are people in rural areas of the country where you got to drive. They got big tracts of land and you got to drive a ways. So, you, you know, somebody who homeschooled um, the pioneer woman, Reed Drummond, she's in a situation like that. She lived on a farm. It was a, a great distance to drive the kids because they live on a massive tract of land. And it, just to get to the front gate, it's about a 30 minute drive from their house to their edge of their property. And it was uh, more convenient for the family for them just to homeschool than to try to go to go to the public schools. And they, of course, they, they were engaged in the public schools. Uh, they, they could still take advantage of extracurricular activities and things like that. You know, Georgia right now, pending in the legislature, whenever it resumes, is Tebow bill. Tebow bill would allow homeschool children to be able to socialize at schools by participating in extracurricular activities. Uh, you don't have a homeschool band. You want to learn the band. You could participate in extracurricular band activities, local public school. Now, the public school advocates are opposed to this. They want all or nothing. Either come to the public schools or don't use it. Never mind that you pay taxes for it already. But the, the the hate and hostility, it, it is a, a presumption that everything is bad. It is a presumption. It is antagonistic to parents. And it is a deep suspicion. Let's, let's just get to the bottom of this. It is a real deep presupposition by this Harvard professor and those who hate homeschooling that parents are having the audacity to indoctrinate their children into their values and beliefs as opposed to letting the public schools indoctrinate kids into the views of the left. See, the left 
presumed that they could take over public education in America and they could indoctrinate your children. And by five years old, your children were learning how to put condoms on bananas. It's true, actually, in some schools, not making that up. And parents opted out, said, those aren't my values. I'm not sending my kid here. I'm either going to send them to private school or I'm going to send them to homeschool. You know, by the way, it's kind of funny. This this came out after, I, if you recall, a week or so ago, I said on this program that we were about to see public school advocates come out against homeschooling and private education. Why? Because the private schools and the homeschools are still working. And many of the public schools are just giving up. You know, I, I live in Bibb County. They've decided it's May 1st is going to be it for the school year. My kids are still going to the middle of, of May. That they, they, they cut short a week because they're not going to do the standardized testing week and they're not going to do the field trips. They're going to cut short a week, but they're still going to have finals. They're still going to have exams. They still got homework. They're still regularly engaged with their teachers. My kids one day will be called boss by the other kids, as will yours if you're engaged as well. And so the only way to stop your kids from getting a privilege, getting an advantage, is to shut down your private Christian school and to shut down your home education and force everybody to go to the public school because we can't have income inequality or education inequality. And the only way to stop the education inequality in this country is to force you to send your kids to public school too, where the left can rot your child's brain. It, it, this is, we're going to see more of this, not less of this. Particularly, here's the thing. If the president wins re-election in November, it's going to get even worse. They're going to be just out to wipe out Christians and homeschoolers and blame them for the president's re-election. Don't forget to text the word show to 33777 because in addition to getting a link for my daily email, I've started doing the Substack email. You'll, you'll get the podcast, link to the podcast. You can listen later. And I, I also do additional stuff. Now, I, I do a programming note for tomorrow is the CEO of Waffle House is going to join me. Uh, a great Georgia company and talking about how this, the virus, the shutdown and the reopening and all that is affecting them. Uh, looking forward to talking to him about that, trying to do this, uh, talking to more hospital administrators and stuff. Uh, relatedly, I, it really, there it really continues to be a disconnect out there right now between hospitals and, and others. Cause a, a lot of my friends in the conservative movement, They'll talk to their their primary doctor, and, and their primary doctor confirms they're not seeing in their doctor's office a lot of COVID-19 cases, and, and the conservative says, well, this is all overblown. But, man, talk to some ER doctors. I was talking to one over the weekend, uh, just horrific, uh, the, the number of patients that they are seeing in the ER. But I was also talking now to a couple of different people who are EMTs in different areas around the country, and they're seeing an uptick in people dying at home. And it's going to be interesting to analyze that data and break it down. How many of the people who are dying at home now are dying at home because they, they didn't want to go to the hospital? And how many of them are dying at home because they um, they, they had the virus and it was undiagnosed and, and it ran, ran rampant? And I think there is a divide. We, we do know that if we take the presumed COVID-19 case, if we treat COVID-19 like the flu, 
The flu every year, there are confirmed positive flu cases, about 7,000 people die. Now, we say 40-some-odd thousand people die of the flu every year because we take the confirmed cases and the ones that hospitals coded as having the flu. They didn't get a flu test, but they had all the symptoms. It's, it's logical to presume they had flu pneumonia, and there's a hospital code you use to say they're presumed to have this, and that's what they died of. So you take the presumed and the confirmed, you get 43,122 cases last year. If you only take the ones who actually had a test, it's about 7,000. With COVID-19 right now, you take the ones who only had a test, and you're talking 40,000 in eight weeks. That That's clearly, it's worse than the flu. But it's also, we're starting to get a sense that that we may be able to get back to work. You know, Scott uh, Gottlieb, who was the FDA commissioner who the media has been using as one of the reasonable voices out there, and he actually is a pretty reasonable guy. Even he's out there saying, we, we can't keep this stuff shut down. All those Harvard professors and whatnot saying, we're going to have to shelter in place until a vaccine comes up. We may never have a vaccine. We got to come up with a plan to get people out. And now as, as we're getting into the summer, if this responds as a lot of viruses do, where it winds down in summer heat and humidity, now is the perfect time to begin putting into place the strategies to reopen the country. Now is the time to take a go-slow approach Get people in public to wear masks. Make sure people are washing their hands and sanitizing. Make sure we have supplies of tests. Make sure we have supplies of masks. Make sure we have supplies of hand sanitizer, which, by the way, I still can't find. Ma- I, I did fi- finally a, a guy in Atlanta heard me, uh, and, and they they have masks and, and sent my family some. But I've got enough hand sanitizer. I started buying hand sanitizer in January. Thank goodness I started stockpiling slowly over time like I was telling you guys to do. But you still can't find it. It's like finding toilet paper. And finding paper towels, it's hard to find. Thankfully, I've been stockpiling for months getting ready for this stuff. I, You know, listen, I am a conservative and I'm not even a prepper, and yet I prep better than a lot of people because I was taking this stuff seriously in January and February when a lot of people were still saying it's overblown, it's no big deal, including members of the media. And by the way, I wonder how many people in the media right now are in full panic mode because they didn't take it seriously. When guys like me were saying, take it seriously, you had members of me say, no, no, China says we're all okay. We don't have to stop pile toilet paper. And now they're thinking, man, I'm going to have to use printer paper to, for toilet paper. All you had to do was actually listen. It is, there's a deep and rich irony that, that one day I hope will be explored by historians that a bunch of reporters who don't believe the president, if the president says it's raining outside, believed the president when he said this was going to be no big deal. That, that, that is the height of irony in my mind, that these these reporters who believe nothing the president says are like, well, we believed him, so we didn't buy any toilet paper. Come on, people. <laughs> it's just, I mean, the whole irony of the way the media has behaved in this is in and of itself a joke. That someone could do an entire stand-up re- I may do an entire talk show on it. We never know. It's just absolutely ridiculous to see. All right, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Y'all have a great rest of the day.